Welcome to the Journey of a Christian Dad podcast. I'm your host, Dan Lewis. Who is the spiritual leader of your family? Is it you, your pastor, your spouse, the media? Do you know? I did. And sadly, no one was taking responsibility to lead our family. Well, friends, someone needs to take that job, and that man is you. You may not feel qualified, and some days I don't. With the help of God and a community of dads helping each other on their journey, you can be the leader your family deserves. We welcome you to the Journey of the Christian Dad podcast. All right, guys, let's get started this week. So as we always like to start off, I like to start off with some review from either Apple Podcasts or Amazon or even just some of the messages that come in that guys send. So this week we have got a Apple podcast review from Jehu 77. So thank you, Jehu. Yes, please is how it's titled. Wow. This is really great. Funny how the message of truth arrives just when I need it most subscribed and looking forward to catching up on the previous episodes while awaiting the next one. Keep up the hard work. Well, thank you, Jehu. I sure plan on keeping up the hard work. Been so rewarding. I get to talk to guys like Troy Mangum. Troy, I'm so excited to have you here with us today. You've got the craziest background. Uh, I've got a friend with a similar background uh, different, differently. You're a missionary, a hardcore punk singer, substance abuse counselor, a busker. We'll get into what a busker is. Longboarder, exotic fruit farmer, vert skater, singer songwriter, software engineer, manager, traveling hitchhiker, and seminary dropout. Like the last one just killed me when I got to it. So, welcome, Troy. We're going to talk about your new book, and I'm sure we'll talk about your podcast as well. But, Busker, <laughs> what the heck? Oh, yeah, yeah, Busker. So, Busker, so I, I, I lived in Europe for a while, and they call street musicians buskers. Yes. A rarely used term around here, but yes. Yeah. Yeah. So I was, yeah. When I, my claim to fame on that is that I was a youth pastor and I was broke and I needed to buy my wife a gift. And so I went out on the street and played songs and sang for money so that I could buy my wife a birthday present. (laughs) That is awesome. When you have something that like, just get you fired up, you'll do anything. That's right. I will embarrass myself in public. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that is awesome. That is awesome. And we didn't even talk about the fact that you're a Lumbee Indian tribal member. I have no idea. Never heard of Lumbee. Right. You live in North Carolina, your wife, Kathy, and you got four, four kids. So what the yeah. heck is a Lumbee Indian? Where is that? So we're out of based out of North Carolina and they used to be called the East Cherokee Indians, but they okay. were of a different uh, tribal descent. And it has a long history with uh, the North Carolina coast with something called the Lost Colony. And so it's a tribal group that lives in the central part of North Carolina. They're state recognized. They've sought federal recognition as a federal tribe, the United States, but they haven't been able to achieve that. But they're recognized as a local tribe. And so my mom's a full blood Native American and part of that tribe. And so so am I and my kids will be soon here this month or this so what session. so what does that get you what benefits does that get you uh that i i you go to the powwow you can free dance in the powwow which i haven't done yet but i'm going to um and uh it's just more of an affinity uh, affiliation like god's really kind of re-resurrected my interest in my native heritage and uh and and if you look at something called well, see, I don't want to go in. There's something called Hochoka Men that I've started 
that will help young men grow into masculinity through male initiation uh, ceremonies. And I do, and it's based on some, the Bible and Native American practices and it's H-O-C-O-K-A. And so God's kind of resurrected a lot of my Native American roots and I'm using them to help other men. And yeah, I was saying, I think men, just by checking into things like that, can resurrect that in their own soul, like oh, that absolutely. fire and passion and everything again. So yeah. as, our, as I'm looking up stuff to learn to help my own daughters out with, yeah. I'm like, oh yeah, that's good. Or I forgot that, or I haven't been practicing that or whatever it is. So yeah, I, yeah, the Hokoka men that I, I loved when I read about that, about you and yeah, yeah. by studying, and practicing, got, like, teaching, we learned so much. I've been around men's ministries a long time and, and you see a lot of the sort of the Scottish and Irish and English and European backgrounds. And so you got the swords and the Kings and the Knights and the, the Celts and, and, uh, and I, tr- I believe that God puts treasures in our heritage to give to our children. And so if we can go there and say, well, Lord, what is it that are particular about the Scots or particular about my particular background or whatever it is, and I think that God always puts treasures there for us to be able to pass on to our children that are truly like from the Lord that just happens to be represented in a certain people group. Yeah, I agree. The generational rather yeah. than let's sidetrack onto that. Let's just jump That's right into your topic. book. Let's, <laughs> let's, let's jump right into your book. Cause I could, yeah, we, sure. we could miss the whole thing because there's so That's much right. to talk about with you, but fatherhood face plants. I love the book cover, love the title and yeah. what, what dad can't relate to messing up uh yeah really and how many times a day so (laughs) yeah that's so true yeah so tell us a little bit about how the book came about uh i haven't read i haven't read it i've only read excerpts sure and i'm Um, certain that you had to become super vulnerable with embarrassing things so tell us about yeah so i um so i've uh had in my heart that uh, that i felt like i had something that the lord had helped me learn as a dad that i could help other dads with and i've had that for 15 years and i did a little blog years ago to try to help dads i've written a lot to try to help dads i run a podcast i would have topics that i thought would help dads and and it's just been one of those back in the back burner dreams that i've had And so uh, about two and a half years ago, my family and I went on a big adventure with God and we became missionaries. Um, And I thought that was going to be what we were going to do, like long term. This is what we're doing now. Uh, But the Lord had other plans. And so when we arrived back to the United States and kind of back to my old life, you know, living in suburbia, working a corporate job, that kind of thing. um, I was like, well, I've always wanted to write a book. And, and, uh, and so that's kind of how it came about. And it was, you know, I don't consider myself a good writer. <laughs> um, you know, even though I'd done blogs, you know, books are a totally different category. You know, it's like 20 minutes to write something impactful to, you know, months and months and months and months to write something that may or may not be valuable years down the road um, is another task. And so that's how it came about. Uh, and with uh, the encouragement of my, my wife and my friends, I started with God to say, okay, God, help me out. And I set aside some time like six to seven in the morning or six to eight in the morning before I go to work. Uh, and I would just sit in, and write with God's help. And that's how, it, that's the, sh- that's the long story of how it came to be. And so 
from that point as you're writing and just putting stuff on paper and turn it into a book, yeah. where did the fatherhood face plants come from? And, uh, and yeah. tell us about the book a bit. Yeah. So, um, so the face plants part is that I, I came to recognize that there's a, a point in time where men, the way that they do life runs, they, it hit, they hits a dead end. And I'd say it's probably about the mid thirties. Mid thirties. I agree. Know, yeah. Where it's just sort of like, you know, you're fooling your wife, you're fooling everybody. You're, you're, you're just kind of running your own MO. And then all of a sudden, all the ways that you've been doing life kind of come to a head and you're like, Hey, this isn't working anymore. Like I can't dupe my wife anymore. I can't, you know, act like nothing's going on with my kids anymore. Like, or I've made some mistakes and they're open to being, well, maybe there's something I need to learn. That was my story. And I was a, uh, what I, I had a dad, but I would consider myself somewhat fatherless in the sense that my dad was uh, love work. And that's, that's all he did. That's all he was about. And so I was sort of left to, well, I just got to figure this out. Well, insert marriage and kids. Okay, I'll just figure this out. And I just made a ton of mistakes. And so, but, but the God really fathered me through those mistakes and then basically guided me and says, you understand you, you took about this approach. I want to teach you a new way to do it. And it took me really a, a, a lifetime to learn these lessons because there was certain key lessons God showed me. And so for me, I wanted it to be a doorway for men that recognize, you know what? Yeah, I've made some mistakes but I don't really know what, how to overcome my anger. I don't know how to change. I don't know how to do these things. And so the book becomes a vulnerable story of some honest things that I dealt with. And I had a fairly traumatic background. So there was some pretty nasty stuff, but then the goodness of God to guide and direct me and say, do this, try this, or, you know, uh, take this approach. And it really became a guiding for, for me as a dad to help my kids. And so I think that that's, that's uh, really what it's about. It's, so it's half of the book is really sort of a story journey about my life and my kids. And the other half of the book is really having seen all that. Now, here are the things that God showed me uh, to really help men grow. And, and really the big, big message of the book is you at you pass on who you are, not what you know. So you got to be the very best version of yourself in God that you can be, because that's ultimately what you pass on, right? You can know what's right and do what's wrong, and you will pass on what is wrong, <laughs> even though you don't want to. And you'll say, hey, do as I say, not as I do. They're going to do as you do. So as a dad, you've got to get the hidden areas that you think nobody sees, guess what? It will pop up in the generations. You know, the little secret sins. Oh, now it's showing up in my kids, you know, 20 years later. Yes. These are the kind of, that's the kind of things that I'm trying to help dad say, you can overcome all of the mess and really pass on something beautiful to your kids that you're proud of uh, with no skeletons in the closet. Like you're really free now. Yeah. Not that Solomon's sins were hidden, but King Solomon, I was reading about him, wisest guy in the world. Right. But yeah. doesn't know how to apply that wisdom to his own life. Yeah. Yeah. And David's such a great, like I use the story of David in one of the chapters about 
some of the guilt he dealt with, you know, and that as an expert, because I believe that one of the biggest pains of fatherhood is when you do face plant, the guilt of that face plant. And, and what leads most men to passivity is what I believe is guilt, you know, because you're like, well, how, who am I to say, or how could I? And so they move away from the family because they feel guilty and they become passive dad, right? Because they've done something wrong, but the blood of Jesus is stronger than the wrong you've done. And God calls us to actively parent, to actively father, to be engaged and uh, don't let your face plants rob you of engagement. And that was David's story. Like he, I mean, that's a longer story, but the short of it is he didn't engage when he should have. And it even cost, it cost further turmoil in his family, but, and it was all from the Bathsheba thing, you know, yes. Bathsheba, he sins with Bathsheba. One of his sons rapes his, his daughter, right? D don't you think that he's connecting the dots? He's like, this is my fault. Right. Yeah, and, yeah. and then, and then instead of making it right, he does nothing for years with Absalom. Absalom betrothes the kingdom. And it was all because of dad guilt. Like you can read the book and get more on that, but, but yeah, it's, 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 uh, so I'm really trying to help dads like say, Hey, get out of feeling sorry for yourself. Get out of being passive. Sure. We all make mistakes, but God's what's, what's one is. that you've ran into, like might be the main one or just anyone that's yes. coming to mind that a dad does. And then that pushes them into, to pass it passivity. Yeah. I would say that a man's anger, like having like really strong emotional responses to things that aren't warranted that emotional response for me, I think can unsettle the man. Cause like, why am I responding? So I, when I think about it, this really isn't a big deal, but yet I'm responding like it's huge and I'm so upset about it. That and one's a good one. That one's a really good one. Cause as a kid, I grew up uh, and my parents often talked about, you know, responding with anger and how to, and so for whatever reason, I've always been pretty good at that other than with one person in my life. <laughs> However, as I talk to there, there's certain instances where I can get triggered. However, you know, I don't go and yell and carry right. on and punch my fist through the walls. However, I talk to guys and guys oftentimes tell me that they get so angry that they lose their mind. And I'm yeah. like, tell me more about that. And they often ask me, Hey, can you help me with this? I, I recognize it's a massive problem. So interesting. You brought that one up top of mind. Uh, yeah. yeah. So I would say the sort, the source of that is, is a brokenness somewhere in the man's life. Um, you know, uh, Jesus said a come, he came to bind up the brokenhearted. Um, that anger stems from something and it's typically not family your family related it's usually related to something in childhood and and um and most men want to muscle through like i'm just not going to be a, come angry yet their emotions overtake them and, and it's because there's a, a a broken gear somewhere down in their heart that's tied to something they've experienced and they need god they need god's help to go back and and heal that and so I'm a big advocate of counseling. I'm a big advocate of being honest with, with other men. And, and most men are sort of like the go forward types, like what a waste of time to go backwards. What a waste of time. Like those are days gone by. Like, what do you want me to go, you know, suck my thumb and feel sorry for myself? And that's going to help me. 
you know, it's like, no, you're going to man up and say, I take responsibility that I have an uncontrolled anger problem and I don't understand where it comes from. You're going to go after with God's help. Where is that coming from? And that becomes you taking responsibility, having courage, being brave and letting God take what you probably don't want to talk about and in and, and healing that. And you will find that as that healing, as you allow God to put you through a healing process, now when they spill the milk, you're not losing your mind. And like in my case, I can say that a lot of my anger stemmed from, some of my anger stemmed from like a lack of respect. Like mm -hmm. I, anytime with my kids, it was always like I would fly off the hangover if I ever smelled a lack of respect in anything they did. But my brokenness was that I felt undervalued as an individual. And so by God, I'm going to extract value out of you kids. So I feel like a man or I feel good. And it's like, it's not their job. You know, it's, I mean, the Lord says respect child, respect the parent, but if that parent is broken, you know, the, the children aren't going to fix that. Right. And trying to extract respect out of your kids out of anger is completely broken and wrong. Right. It, you want to be respectable. You want to be honorable. You want to be, you know, gracious and loving and approachable. And out of that comes the respect that's like, oh, we love dad. And we want to listen to what he says because we know he loves and values us. When you're going off and losing your mind because you feel lack of respect because of some broken thing with your childhood, like God can shore that up. And that's what he did for me. He, he allowed me to ha have value, feel honored through God helping me. And then I stopped being such a respect Nazi. <laughs> <laughs> have, you, have you got a, a story that you can share? I'd love to hear, hear one from your background. Oh gosh. Um, you can admit the kid's name, whatever it is. But... <laughs> I, I think I had the biggest struggle with my boys because as young men grow up, they, they push, they push against you, right? Uh, it's, it's part of the nature of growing up and becoming their own man. And, and I think that um, I'm trying to think of a, a specific example of, um, because I, honestly, there were just so many times when I felt like I was being disrespectful. And I, it was probably with my oldest son the most where he would push back on me. Like I might ask, I know nothing is specific is coming to mind. So I don't have a tangible story, but I know the, I, I remember the feelings and it was basically, he would push against me because maybe I was gruff or demanding or, or just unreasonable in how I would approach like something I would ask him to do. Uh, and I would just expect some immediate like, yes, dad response, but I wouldn't get that. And then it would just escalate into a fight. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I would approach things so aggressively because I was kind of, it wasn't relational. It was just like, I'm your dad, you're doing this and this is how it's going to be. And, and when he's 16, 17, he's like, well, I don't want to do that. We never really went to blows, like physical blows, but it got pretty heated. And I would say that now our relationship, like I'm very conscientious to be loving and respectful. I can still ask, demand, not demand. I can still ask. I can still expect. I think that's a big one for dads, like expectations. But, but I can do it in a way that makes it achievable for them versus my way or the highway, this is the way it's going to be, no questions asked, you know, kind of a, approach to fathering, which is not relational. I, I don't you, know if that helps. When but. you switched away from that dictator dad yeah, and shifted to this new philosophy, 
what are some keys to the new philosophy for you when you feel maybe you get that gut instinct, that feeling that you talked about, that lack of respect? Because I resonate with that one. When I feel that lack of respect, and I think 100% of every man I know has said that respect thing, man, that gets me like that. Yeah, that's whoever's given him lack of respect. <laughs> They're ready to, they're ready to fight over that one. Yeah. So I think the, the difference has been, um, I am far more interested in the integrity of my relationship with my kids than I am in their obedience or quick to respond to me-ness, if that could be called a thing. And so the, what I, I talk now respectfully to my children as best I can in that, my, I ask questions more than I give statements with explanation points. I, I try to draw things out. I try to come to a conclusion about something that needs. And I would find that the more relational I am with kids or with my kids, the more that they are responsive to the things that need to be done. And, and that would be just like, think about God and I's, our relationship with God. You know, it's sort of like you come to a point where you're like, I want to obey you. Not I have to, not I'm afraid I'm going to get punished, not I'm afraid some bad thing's going to happen, but I genuinely, out of my heart, want to obey you. I want to do it your way. I want to follow you. That is the goal of parenting. You know, out of love that you are creating a connection to where your kids are like, yeah, I'd like to, I want to. And most times when we're, when we're doing it sort of a broken way, it's the dictatorial, it's the I'm more stronger and more powerful than you, and I can make you or I can restrict you, but you're missing the heart completely in that, all of that. And you might achieve the quote goal, but more often than not, when the kid gets a smell of freedom in that environment, they're like, I'm out, like I'm done. Like, I don't want a relationship with you. You mm -hmm. never wanted a relationship with me. Right. And I don't have to obey you anymore because I'm gone and you're not paying my bills. So, right. You know, so now what, now what, what leverage do you have on me now? And it's sort of like, if you're, if your parenting is built on that kind of quote leverage, you know, I could get you, I can force you it's not even close to being relational. I know that's a little off topic, but, but right now my whole intention is to keep the integrity of the relationship. And that means even when I mess up or they mess up, there can be reconciliation. They understand that, Hey, I'm not perfect. God's teaching me to, and I'm sorry. What, what does that look like? You must, you messed up. What does that look like? Now I'm on a short leash in the sense that I will say, like, I might like go at my son about something. It seems to be always my sons. I have more grace right. than my daughters, <laughs> whatever. I'll go out my son about something. And then I'll have a quiet moment within a day or two. And the Lord would be like, you need to go back and make that right. Like you handled that poorly. Yeah. And I was like, but I was right, you know, or whatever, you know, <laughs> that argument. But ultimately I come back and be like, even though maybe what I said was right, but how I said it was wrong. Maybe my point or my intention was right, but the way I approached his heart was wrong. And, you know, and being able to allow God to guide you and just say, look, I'm really sorry how I approached that. You know, I shouldn't have said it that way. And then just let it be like most dads want to have that apology and be like, I'm sorry I did that, but I was right to do this, this and this. So they're really not allowing vulnerability there. They're just being like, I'm begrudgingly doing what the Lord wants me to do to reconcile the relationship, but I'm still going to prove that I'm right. 
Yes, that's not reconciliation. Yes. That's not reconciliation. Reconciliation is I I really shouldn't have approached that way. Pause, be quiet, allow vulnerability, and allow them to say, I forgive you, or I'm still upset about it. And let it go. So dad, God. I'm still upset about it. I'm still mad. Yeah. Yeah. And then you've got to be like, okay, well, I, I understand that. Maybe we can talk, you know, a little bit later. Letting God deal with the situation because men uh we want to just insert ourselves and just fix it write it correct it whereas i find that in relationships it's not like math and it's not like working on a car like it's not you will get in these weird spaces that may last a while and you got to trust god through those times Mm -hmm. whereas and a lot of times that's been the difficult part but I can say, having done that approach, okay, so hear me, dads, having done that approach, God always seems to write it later. And it always comes in and it's sincere and it truly does bring reconciliation and healing. Had you done it or had I done it my way, uh, it maybe had for, you know, driven a further wedge into something I already, I already did something. Now I'm driving a further wedge into it, trying to make it right. Now I've just made it worse. You know, here's, here's something I've been working on. So when I get that response of I'm mad or, and they kind of shut down. Yeah. There's a book called uh, Never Split the Difference. It's by a guy named Chris Voss. He used to be a terrorist negotiator, number one in the world. And I never wanted to read that book. And then I heard more about it. And it's more about questioning, getting the other side to open up and that trust conversation. And he's got technique he uses, sounds like, feels like, or looks like. Dad, I'm still mad. Sounds like you're still mad. I am. It looks like you're still mad. You're right. I am because, and then it allows them to open up more. And if one of those three don't fit, sometimes you can use a technique he calls mirroring, where you just say the last three to five words that they said. And it's unbelievable when you use the last three to five words, they typically just keep going. And you can, uh, sounds like you're mad. You're mad. Yes, that's right. I'm mad. Yeah, that's right. You are mad. Yes, dad. And you wouldn't believe, you know, you just keep it going. Well, The thing that I hear them, you know, letting them know that you hear. Yeah. And I think it's so key because when you hear your, that your child's heart and let's say their perspective is wrong, they got it wrong. Like they literally, and you can see it, you're a dad and you're like, you're seeing it wrong. I know they're saying it wrong and they're upset, but they're saying it incorrectly. In that case, there has to be an honoring that it is something they are feeling. They are experiencing it. Like, this is what I, how I felt when you did. This is how I experienced when you said. And you could be like, I didn't intend that. I didn't mean that. And so therefore your feelings about all that are completely wrong. And you're wrong. That is a stupid way to handle it and it's not a wise way as a father so what you need to but be it's able the to easy way it's oh, the it's way easy that way. Yeah, <laughs> i can just jump right to that yeah just jump right to that and you sh- and that's a it's a quick way to shut them down and shut the relationship down again and what you need to do in those situations is be like just be curious i mean instead of being like always making these definitive statements with periods and, and exclamation points why not ask more questions Why not be curious? Don't you care? Like, have you never gotten something wrong and been so 
like emotionally intent on something that you was wrong later on? Have you never had that experience? You need to create an environment where they can have that experience. And it may be against you and you may feel defensive, but, you know, pull your big boy pants on and you can handle it. You know, it's okay. You can handle it for a season because typically when they're allowed to express what they're, they're feeling, sensing, whatever, you get really to the crux of it. And usually it's a hurt. It's a lie about them or a lie about the situation. And you're, what you're trying to get to is not your truth. You're trying to get to a reconciliation of the re- relationship around what is true, right? What is what really, really happened? Like they might take something a certain way. You didn't mean for them to take it away. They took it that certain way and, and just say, I'm so sorry. That's how that came across versus you were wrong to feel that that way. You were wrong to view it that way. It's a different approach. Very different approach. And I find that approach to be incredibly effective. Yeah. And, and, and you can't do it. If you're all broken up inside, yeah, good luck at that conversation because you're going to get triggered all over the place. You're getting misjudged. It's unjust. It's in wrong. You know, you're disrespected. Like you're, that's why you got to be as a dad short up. Like God shore you up. Let there not be chinks in the armor or opportunities for Satan to pull at anything. Let that area, and that that's not an overnight process. And that's a little bit what the book's about. It's the process. It will take a process, but if you will submit to it, God will journey you through and you'll be stronger and the chinks in the armor won't be as many, if any. That's awesome. And you've got so many guys that have endorsed this book and the endorsements are just <laughs> incredible. I love them. I love them. So one thing I read, fearful dads raise anxious, nervous children. Mm. And I'm not a dad that, that is fearful. However, when I see, when I see fearful dads, when I see anxious moms, when I see anxious pet owners, (laughs) you see that transfer, like absolutely that transfers and the dads that are bold their kids typically have more confidence and are, are more bold. So that one sentence really resonated. Fearful mm-hmm. dads raise anxious, nervous children. And I know that's not what I want. Yeah. Yeah. We pass on, uh, maybe I've said it and I'll say it again, is we pass on who we are more than what we know. That's why if you have a propensity towards fear or any other thing, that's where you want God to really help you because he transforms who we are. And then that becomes who we can pass on. It doesn't guarantee your kids will be amazing. It just gives them a starting point. That's far stronger. It's sort of like another way I put it is, do you want to be a wall in front of your kids? When, if they were to want to sincerely follow God with all of their heart, would you be a wall or would you be a wind in their sails? Are they going to have to scale over your issues to follow God with all their heart because of fear or lying or whatever things that you put there as sort of a barrier, or are you going to be able to be like wind in their sails and say, you know, go further, go farther in God and, and become an inspiration to them? Are you an inspiration or a barrier? If your kid went, was all out for God, would you be an inspiration or a barrier? Good question. Have you ever measured that or intentionally set situations up so that you're the wind in the sails of family members? Yes. I initiated both my boys into manhood. That was very intentional. It took a lot of planning and and forethought. 
uh, but my desire was to help them transition from uh, I'm a boy to I am a man ceremony, something that was marking. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that was and part of the wind in the sail that I did was I have this concept I call uh, finding the thumbprint of God on your children. So it basically means God created your children. They're unique. If you have more than one, you'll, you discover that, right? Wow. They're different. How did that happen? <laughs> you know, but a lot of it's God's thumbprint, some magnificent, wonderful grace that God wants to express in the world through your child right? They're great with people. They're, 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 they're great with truth. They're, they're bold or they're compassionate or they're something. And you ask God, God, give me insight into the, into your thumbprint on my kid. And Mm. when you get that, you just speak that over them the rest of their life. You know, this encouraging forward looking God has made you a certain way. Don't forget it. It's not tied to a job. It's not tied to a role. It's not tied to a station in life. You're married or kids. It's just an, a grace. Uh, I, the scripture comes to mind expressing his manifold uh, grace in its various forms. So if you lead, lead as if you're you know, doing it this way. If you serve, do it this way. It's sort of like God gives us all gifts and, and abilities and as a dad, if we can be intentional to call that out, it makes the world a difference. So part of my initiation with my kids was to speak those words over them, write them out, do things that are tangible that says, this is who I see you to be in God. And it's unique to them. And that becomes a great wind in their sails. And I've lived long enough with my older son where he was able to look back and say, even when I was not even close to living that way those words would ring in my ears and I would know, you know, I'm not really being who I really am, you know, and it became a, a, a beacon towards where he needed to go, even though at the time he was screwing up, but I kept speaking that over him. I kept saying, Hey, you know, you're, this is who you really are. You know, and he'd be like, yeah, that's hey, a, that's a very tangible one. The, the writing notes and writing things down. We had a, a guy on the show, Blake Brewer, uh, he does legacy letter and he, he's encouraging a million dads and helping coach them mm-hmm. to write letters to their kids, legacy letters to their kids going through that process with him. It was so cool thinking of all the small things that you can affirm about your kids and telling them you love them, you believe in them and you're proud of them. So you can put that wind in their sails and really let them know firmly where they sit in your eyes. I think that just helps guide them for the future in such a good way. Yeah, I'll add this. In my second ceremony for my youngest son, I had the important men in his life. So me, his grandparents, grandfathers, inspirational people that he was close to, his brother at that time, write a letter of what it means to be a godly man. And so not only did I hand him a letter of who, you know, I believe God had made him to be, he had the voice of a community of men around them and said, this is what it means to follow God and be a godly man. And that was also very tangible. So it wasn't just from a father, but from a community of men that he trusted and valued. Wow. And then what a great exercise for those men also. Oh yeah. Yeah, it was. The permanency of writing something down that you're going to hand off. Yeah. Makes you think about the words you're going to write. Yeah. Yeah. I think the thing that dads need to understand is your words have power. Yes. It really does. The more that you can make them pure from a good heart with God, uh, the more power they're going to have. Because 
whether you like it or not, your words have power. So if they're negative, they have power. God has endued you as a dad with an impact that you're going to make. So why not make an impact for, for God uh, instead of it being laced with crap that you have in your past or comes from things that aren't right and can kind of skew the direction you're going to give your kid. You know, let those words be pure because your heart's been purified. Your heart's been healed. So often we talk at the end of the show. It's not the end. However, uh, we say, what advice have we got for other dads? And mm. we end with a challenge always for the dads. But it's funny, we might not talk about marriage the whole episode. We get to the end and we say, hey, you know, have you got any tips for the guys? And every guest almost to a fault says, love your wives in some version of that. And I know that's a big part of your story as well, yeah, loving yeah, your yeah. wife and, and making her a priority. Tell us a yeah. little bit about that and how you've done things that uh, maybe other guys can emulate or put into action. Yeah. So um, I've got, I'm going to tell the story because I, I love the story. So, I love stories. So yeah. Yeah. Well, that's a good story. This is a good one. So I've actually been probably a better dad than a, than a husband. I just had, I, I, I had, I really was zoned in on, I want to be a good dad because I didn't have a great experience. I want to be a good dad. But the husband part, I was like, oh, it just happened. <laughs> you know, it's just going to happen. You know, I, I'm not going to work at that. That will just happen. Well, it didn't just happen and it didn't go great. And I was probably doing really better as a dad than I was as a husband uh, to the point where my wife and I ended up getting separated. And so Christian, I love God and try to love God sincerely, but it just came to such a, and if you really want to know the backstory, get the book. Cause there's a lot of backstory. Let's, let's pause on that for just yeah. one second. So guys, yeah. if you didn't hear that, if you focus on your children so much, you lose the relationship with your wife and you'll end up a statistic. You'll be over there. Your wife will be with your kids over on the other side and the other house that you're paying for. Yes. Amen. And so I was in this state where we were separated, which was a shock. I was like, I can't believe we're here, but we got there. We ended up being separated. I was at a men's meeting at a church. This older man comes in at this men's meeting. And I basically stand up at this men's meeting saying, hey, all, a lot of you guys know me. I just asked for prayer because you know my wife and I are separated. This older man stands up. He has this plaque in his hand. And he said, today, my wife came to me and said, I believe God wants me to you to give this plaque to a, a man at this meeting. Uh, I want you to take it. Now, this plaque is something that they've had for 30 years. They bought it 30 years ago. It hangs on their mantle. It's, tr it's a treasure to their marriage. And, and he says, okay. So he gets there, he stands up and says, this is, who, this is who I think I need to give the plaque to. The plaque says, how can a man love his children? Love their mother first. Wow. How can a man love his children? Love their mother first. Now, what's the context? I'm separated and it looks like we're getting a divorce. She does not like me. There's a good reasons why he hands me this plaque and I'm just bawling. I'm like, I don't deserve this plaque, you know, but it was clear message. Your issue, you need to reconcile. Like it's, you need to focus on being loving to your wife. So I held that plaque as a treasure through that. We were separated for two years. All right. Mm. And God in his mercy and grace reconciled us when after we reconciled 
the the lady that handed that told her husband to give the plaque to it uh, ended up getting a cancer or something and she was on her deathbed and i heard about it and my wife and i reconciled go to her deathbed we hand the plaque back to him and say thank you for entrusting this to to me i know it was a treasure and he just starts bawling and he's like in his 70s you know they've been married for 40 plus years she's dying and he says, thank you so much for giving this back to me. And I felt so unworthy to have something so precious when I did not deserve it. Like I was a scoundrel. There was reason we were separated. It was pretty much my, it was my fault. I wreaked a lot of havoc at home and I didn't deserve an entrustment like that. It, they were a model marriage. They loved God. They, and that entrustment, and when I hand that plaque to them, it's just such a powerful truth that God was now is in the book communicate to the masses saying hey marriage is key marriage is key and i would say that if it's easier to i think sometimes it is easier for guys to be a dad than a, than a husband be a husband do the hard work be the best husband you can be because it only will bless the children because when that relationship is whole it truly marries what God wanted in the first place for those kids. A, a beautiful whole relationship where you're completing one another. It's not just you got it together and they don't, or they got it together and you don't. You are completing each other. You are a whole unified unit. That is a beautiful picture that we need God and we need each other. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. So selfishness, it seems like. Oh boy. Is kind of the, the divisive issue in, in marriage. Us guys yeah. can be selfish and not think about our spouses. Our kids are cute. Really yeah. easy to, to pull our attention in. And we can coach the little league team and do all the other things and spend all our time somewhere else. And yeah. at that same time, kind of being selfish and not putting our wife as a priority. My guess is that the havoc that you caused involves some selfishness. Oh, yeah. Yeah, very much. It, it involves selfishness. And I think the thing that, that I would encourage you, and again, I kind of like, this is a put your big boy pants on moment is like, when they're running up to your kids are running up to you and saying, Oh, dad, we love you. And you're great. And they don't know your backstory. And they think you're great. Like, how hard is it to be kind to your kids when they think you're great? And then you hit teenagers here. And then it's just like, oh, I don't know if I really want to do this. Right? Well, the wife your wife represents not the, oh, you're so great person in your life. They represent somebody that knows the real deal. They know the mm -hmm. real consequences of your decisions. They understand the real implications of your decisions. And, and that's where the hard work is. And so men tend to be like, well, it's easier to, <laughs> it's easier to be with the, you know, the fan, the, the people that think I'm great than the people that really know who I am, meaning your wife. And so I would say, if you do the hard work, you, you'll reap the benefits, you'll reap the rewards. And so that's when I'm saying, don't do the easy stuff, do the hard stuff. Do the yeah, hard I, stuff. I like that perspective a lot for a whole bunch of different reasons. One is, as men, we're pretty good at work. And so we probably get pats on the back at work. Yeah. So yeah. we do that and we tend to expand our hours and pour our lives into that because it's easy. Yep. And we, we get, get the rewards and we get the rewards and respect. We can tend to pour our lives into our kids and make them a priority. And it's easy. It's fun. A little bit selfish. I talk to my kids all the time about doing the hard thing. 
Like you want to do the easy thing or the hard thing. The hard thing's the one that's difficult. However, you get big rewards down the road. Right. Or do you want to do the easy thing? Everyone's well the answer with the easy thing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we we got to walk through that. Yeah. We got to walk <laughs> through that. But I love that analogy for us as dads. Also, we're always, you know, we're, we say we're willing to do the hard thing. We're even focused on some of the things that are hard. But when we think about our wife as a possibility in our life of that being the hard road, the hard thing to work on, that might shift some perspective a little bit there because I haven't ever, I personally haven't ever thought about it that way, that maybe that's the challenge and maybe I'm avoiding that challenge in seasons, days, weeks, months, years, whatever it is. It's like, and, and I've had that perspective in the past about focusing on my wife as the priority. And it seems like I always need reminders. I always can be better in that way. It's an endurance thing, right? It's sort of like, how long are you willing to do something that's right before you get feedback? A week, you're going to be nice for a week. And if you don't get feedback, you're done. How about a month? How about you do nice things for a month and get no feedback? Are you willing to do that? How about a year? Like, how long are you willing to do what is right before God? before you get feedback. And I think most men are weak in that area. They're like, yeah, I can do anything that, you know, if there's a promised reward, whereas in marriage, a lot of times you don't get those attaboys until they're truly earned. And that means time. It usually takes time. And men, we're just like, Hey, I did the dishes. Like we're having sex tonight. Right. (laughs) You know, it's like 30 minutes later. Right. You know what I'm saying? It's just like they want that positive affirmation immediately. And that's where, and, and to me, it's just like, where's the biblical mandate to endure, to do what is right because God says it's right and to trust by faith. There's more faith to endure. You'll get the feedback. You will get the reward. But men tend to just be so little in faith. They're like, yeah, I'll be nice for a week. And if it doesn't work out, screw that. It's just like, it's, it's, we're so fickle. We're so weak in that area. And, and that's really the, my, my testimony of reconciliation is a testimony of no credit, no cookies, no nothing, but just trying to walk with God through some very difficult things, reckon, uh, humbling things, you know, honest things over a long period of time. And then the reward was reaped. We got reconciled. We have a beautiful family. We have beautiful relationships uh, with myself, my wife, and my kids, but it's only because of God and a lot of endurance. I, I walked with a guy during that season. He says, I've seen so many men pull the pin, like on the grenade. Yeah. They're like, I'm not doing it. I will not. I will not humble myself that much. Forget it. I won't do it. And it's like, okay. And I, and I just had the, the grace to say, uh, yeah, I'll be misunderstood or misjudged or miss whatever for years on end. But it will all be it'll all be righted at some point. And God's proven that to be true. So um, earlier you mentioned the um, but I am right. <laughs> Apply that in any any place you want with your wife, with your kids. But I'm yeah. right. Uh, yes. I love you, but I'm right. Uh, yes. <laughs> you're wrong. I'm right. Where, wherever you want to apply it. But every time I have that thought in my head, but I'm right. I'm like, stop, pause, think, reflect, breathe. Yeah. Why am I, why am I putting that thought? My, why am I putting this stake down right here? This is probably the dumbest move to move forward with the thought of, but I'm right. 
Yeah. Like, let's, let's do something different. Let's bridge this. Let's be curious. Let's ask questions, any of those things. But earlier you mentioned that I'm like, that right there is a, a trigger for me to do something different than when I'm the path I'm about to go down red flag, something's wrong. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and I, it's not the end of the world to be wrong. I mean, I think that's, I mean, God knows I wrote a book called fatherhood face plants. I mean, <laughs> I mean, it's, it's such an oxymoron, you know, it's just sort of like, you know, how to be a strong dad and kill it every day. Like, isn't that going to sell better? You know, it's just like, look, the reality of it is I've lived long enough to know it's okay to be wrong. In fact, it's humbling and humility draws God's grace to your life. Don't you want God's grace in your life? It's okay. It's, it, it's what you do when you're wrong. That's the whole point. You're going to be wrong. Now what? You're going to fight from that. You're going to take your stand in that wrong position or are you going to come into the light as he's in the light? And so that what can be, you know, comes out of your life can be clearly seen. Wow. God's done amazing things, which is my testimony. You know, it's my testimony is God is amazing. I'm okay. Mm -hmm. I've been a work in progress, but God, I mean, nobody's a better dad. Nobody's a better coordinator of growth. Nobody's better. And so I'm not coming at it like, oh my gosh, I've got, you know, all these great nuggets for people. God's got great nuggets. God's got great nuggets and truths through my life, but it points back to him. You know, he really taught me, you know, and I just happened to be, you know, having a pain there. I said, okay, I'll listen now. <laughs> what do you yes, have? Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> oh yeah. With how busy the world is, how much noise everything makes, yeah. uh, the phones, all those things. Yeah. We can tend not to listen to God. Yes. It's very easy, easy not to, and see the fruit of what you're doing, you know, be wise enough to be a good fruit inspector. Hey, is this working? Is this really working? Is this achieving the ultimate goal you want? And most men are just plowing ahead with no perception, no self-evaluation, no awareness, thinking that they're heading somewhere good where they need to evaluate, Hey, is this really producing what I want? Oh, it's not. Okay change the approach. God, how can I do this better? And uh, to improve the relationship with my kids or improve the relationship with my wife or decrease my anger or whatever. And God will, once you become open, he, he'll guide you. The issue is our openness. On your podcast, you talked about uh, an experiment you did where you took all the social media off your phone. <laughs> One of yeah. the reasons my guess is to create some space for yourself that yes, would allow you to also to listen to God more but yes. just, just create space that was more purposeful than the loop you were in at the time. And one of the things that you mentioned on your podcast was you noticed that you enjoyed music a lot more. And that's something that I've noticed also. What you said was at first, when you were listening to music, you'd listen to a little bit, 20 seconds, 30 seconds in, and then your mind would drift and go, what can I do on my phone? How can I stay yeah. occupied? How can I stay busy? And after yeah. about a week, you realize that you're able to listen to the entirety of music and actually listen yeah. to it. Yeah. So, and you and I kind of talked about this before the show, but basically if you ever put things out there, you know, you post something, you write something, you're whatever, you're always looking for that feedback loop, right? But it can become an addiction. It's looking for the attaboys 
you know, multiple times a day with something that, you know, you've done. And I found that I was distracted relatively miserable because it was like maybe never enough or it wasn't the quality of feedback that I wanted it. And it got to the point where I'm like, I got to break this cycle. And so instead of being like time limit, I just deleted the apps, like, you know, deleted them off of my phone. So I didn't have them at all because I felt like what was so funny was, you know, like be self-aware when you reach your phone, what are you going to? And, you know, if it's not, and I understand work and email and things and being mobile and working, but if on the social side, you know, if you were like going to something and I think I ended up looking at my time and I was like, oh my gosh, I'm going to my phone freaking all the time. <laughs> I was like shocking to me how much I was doing it. And so I eventually took it off and oh, it, over 80 times a day. Yeah. Or 80. Yes. I Thank you for that. Thank you. And, I, and I'm not hammering you. I'm hammering. I'm hammering everybody that's listening right now. Yeah. Because it is a normal number. We're, we're always reaching for that phone. You even mentioned you went to like a daughter's sporting event or something and you sat there for a couple of seconds and didn't have your phone with you. And you're like, what am I going to do? Just sit here and be bored. <laughs> Guys learn the discipline. If you haven't done it, here's the challenge. You want to become more aware of your surroundings, your kids, your wife, do that. If you have a propensity towards looking at whatever, Facebook, Instagram, whatever your flavor, ESPN, delete it off your phone, right? And do it for at least a week, like not a day, but a week, give it a week and see the difference. And you will find that you are excessively distracted more than you even realized. And yeah, I mean, cause that's the last thing. I mean, the, the thing that breaks my heart is seeing young dads with young children who absolutely need attention. They absolutely need their father's face, like their eye to eye face. And um, if that father's face is sucked into a phone, I mean, think of the, I mean, I don't want to play armchair psychologist here, but think of the psychological impact that's going to have on that child over time. What's more important, me or the phone, me or whatever that thing is. And it's going to be whatever that thing is. And I'm going to tell you, you know, fastest way to grow resentment in a child over time. Go ahead. Just spend all that time on that phone with your kid. You'll see it. You just give it about 10 years. You'll see a lot of it. You don't have to be that dad. You can be the dad that gives, gives a wholehearted attention, get the phone out or delete the apps or do what it needs, do whatever you, whatever you need to do. So. Yeah, play, have fun, be there for the kids. I go to the the parks and we just had a, a parish picnic and my daughter says, dad, do you realize you're the only adult on any of the rides? There were, hmm. there were a few adults that were with their kids. Most of the kids were just running around on their own. Yeah. And the parents were doing the parent thing talking and there just wasn't that connection there at all. And yeah. granted, I like to hang out with the adults also and, and do that, but yeah. wouldn't any adults on any of the rides. Yeah, that's, that's great. So what, you know, thank God your kid noticed it. It was so cool that she noticed it. And one of the reasons why I wanted to do it was they're doing a lot of this stuff for the first time, some of these rides and how fired up and excited they were about them. And I wanted to share that experience with them and being on the sideline versus being with them. I'm like, I really got to engage and experience that with them. It was so fun. Yeah. You know, yeah. without 
being on the sideline on my phone. Yeah. You know, that's so good. There's, there's less, there's a, there's less important things to do that you think are more important. You know, there's less important things to do that you think are more important. Like you think it's more important to do work things while your kids are engaged in something quote unquote meaningless or silly or play. That's not more important. More important is to be with your kids. You know? Yeah. If you can get into a state of carefree timelessness with your kids and your spouse. Yeah. It's so great where you don't have an agenda. You're not trying to check a box in the next minute to move on to the next thing. Just being, being there with them is awesome. Think yeah. vacation without your phone. Yes. Yes. Uh, yes. And if you can actually live that way. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, you're not going to be perfect. You're not going to be that way all the time, but if you can set up just even 30 minutes or hour blocks where that's all that's going on, you know, no devices, no nothing. And, uh, yeah. and can just, can just be with them. So, well, I love that you created your own challenge before I even asked for it. That's fantastic. <laughs> oh yeah. That's the challenge. <laughs> yes. Yes. So I, so I love that. Anything else that you want to share with the audience about your book or an additional tip beyond prioritizing your wife? Yeah. I mean, I think I've said it, but I'll say it again, become the best version of yourself. Let God train you to become the best version of yourself because you will pass on who you are more than what you know. So who you are is key. And most men try to teach from, oh, I need to do a thing or I need to do a technique or I need to do a tip. You are far more powerful than any technique or tip. So be powerful. Be amazing as a dad, as a person, as a follower of Christ. It will translate. It will be, that's what you want to pass on. Yeah, yeah. So become better yourself. Yeah. And your kids are going to see what you do and they're yeah. going to emulate that and they're going to be better adults and it'll just carry on generation after generation. So generational it's a, curse it's an, it's, or generational blessing. It's an inspiration. It's sort of like, well, I'm of my father and mother. And if they can do X or God can do X or Y, maybe God can do that for me. That's the whole point. You know, it's, it's providing models. You know, we're so big on knowledge, but I think the biblical model is models, examples, real people doing real things. And you want to be one of those models to your kids. That's all your knowledge translates into your life. Don't think that you're truly transforming them by giving them information. You truly transform your kids by become by being what you believe, living what you value. That's when it really matters. That That's teaches fantastic. the best lessons. Yep, absolutely. Yep, that is so key. Model the behavior. You know, learn who you are, grow into it, and yeah. be humble. In your book, it says live uncovered. So being yeah. open with your kids so they can truly get to know you you know yeah. yourself and you know your spouse family all runs better when when you're doing that and when you're connected and focused on Christ amen 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 well thank you so much i appreciate the time you're just a fascinating person looking forward to getting to know you more <laughs> and just engaging in your material i can't wait to read the book i'm really excited uh thank you for having me on it's been a real honor my pleasure my pleasure well, thank you, Troy. And until uh, we meet again, look forward to connecting soon.
All right. Thanks. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Journey of a Christian Dad podcast. Thank you guys for being a light. Shine that light out and let others see it. With you guys, part of this community, it helps me be accountable to you guys. It helps me be accountable to myself, be accountable to God and Jesus. I hope you appreciated this episode and picked up some great things. I hope you like the challenge and I hope you can execute on that challenge this week. I ask of you, please subscribe, share the show with others. Join us inside of the Journey of a Christian Dad on Facebook, inside our private community. Share that community with others. Have your buddies join. Have other dads that are looking to grow in their faith, grow as spiritual leaders of their family. As we engage in our journey and be intentional with it, we can help others grow theirs as well. We thank you again for listening. We thank you for all your reviews. Look forward to reading a review of yours on a future show. So, dear God, Thanks for blessing all of us, and thanks for drawing us closer to you. In your name we pray. Amen. Have fun, guys.